listening to ACDC Beyond the Thunder, the podcast with the biggest balls of all, with your hosts, Kurt Squires and Greg Ferguson. It's time to rock. Welcome to another episode of ACDC Beyond the Thunder, a podcast where extraordinary fans from actors, authors, athletes, comedians, professors, priests, stockbrokers, CEOs, war heroes, and yes, even professional wrestlers get in the ring to salute this extraordinary band called ACDC. I'm your host, Kurt Squires, along with partners in crime, Greg Ferguson and Eric Kielb. Today's guest is a musician, fellow podcaster, author, actor, host, and now film producer, obviously an entrepreneur and forced to be reckoned with, but best known in the pro wrestling world as Chris Jericho, cited by many as one of the greatest professional wrestlers of all time. Right off the bat, Chris, I gotta ask you, Power Up recently released, and you had Angus and Brian on your podcast. Tell us about that. It's very strange because ACDC, uh, as you know, does not do a lot of press. Right. And they haven't uh, in the past ever really done a lot. But I think because um, uh, Power Up came out kind of in the middle of all this where they can't tour, that, that they, they're doing so much press. So it was actually, I was thinking, what would they be like? But they were actually so excited to see each other. You can see that because I think Angus is in uh, maybe uh, Holland or so, Netherlands. Right. Ryan is here just down the road in Florida. Right. Um, they were great. They're absolutely amazing guests. So much fun with those guys. So um, it was really, really cool. Always down to earth, aren't they? That's the great thing about them. Yeah, down to earth. But listen, the thing about them that I love is, is they have no problems. Like, like I, I know I know Brian and know a lot of people that know Brian because, like I say, he lives down the, the, the street in Sarasota. Uh, from Tampa, but I didn't really know what to expect from Angus because he's always been so quiet. And that guy was hilarious. Right. Um, so down to earth, but you know, as down to earth as you can be telling great stories about Eddie Van Halen and about Malcolm and Geezer getting into a knife fight and about, you know, playing in front of hundred thousand people. Like they're, 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 they're down to earth, but they're also so worldly because they have so much to talk about, so much experience. And like, for me, an hour went by like that. And it's one of those things where, not even just from a fan standpoint, but from, from a rock and roll history standpoint, I would love just to, to, to hung out with those guys for, for a week, just to hear the stories that come up naturally from them. Cause you can tell they're both natural storytellers. So it right. was really, really cool. I, I, and I was actually thinking of probably after doing talk as Jericho for over seven years and over 700 episodes, probably the most famous guest I've ever had from a worldwide basis is Angus Young. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, Mike Tyson was close, but I think Angus is a little bit more um, worldwide. You Have know? you ever recovered from getting hit from Mike Tyson, by the way? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that was 10 years ago. So about nine and a half years uh, later. <laughs> sort of so what was it like growing up in your household? What kind of music were you listening to? Well, when you're talking about ACDC, the, uh, ACDC in Winnipeg, where I'm from, is very, uh, it's a very rock and roll city. And ACDC has always been one of those bands that, that have always been around. I remember going to maybe 
summer camp or something and someone was, was playing big balls nice and just how funny that was as a you know eight nine year old kid here we've got the biggest balls of them all <laughs> he says balls <laughs> and then two just like i'm like you know highway to hell it's like kiss hotter than hell which was i think four or five years before like nobody really said stuff like that in public so to have an album called highway to hell Obviously, it seemed so evil and so dangerous. It did. And I think right around that time when I started getting more attuned to what rock and roll was is when back in Black, you know, so so Hell's Bells with the bell. Like, this was stuff that you would listen to when you were a kid, and it would actually scare you. Right. You know? I remember, like, when my parents first started leaving me home alone, I was always listening to the radio, 92 City FM in Winnipeg, and that bell would start, and you'd be like, fuck sitting in the dark because I'd always listen to music to go to bed. If that came on, like the lights are coming back up again. And like, who is this, who is this band that's always singing about hell with this weird little guy in a fucking, you know, in a, in a schoolboy outfit with horns. It's like, what is this? Totally. You know? So that was always kind of like, I've known about ACDC pretty much as long as I've really understood what rock and roll is all about because they've been around so long. And then, and then once, you know, heavy metal became a thing probably 82, 83. That's when you started really understanding who ACDC was. Right. And really kind of getting into him from that standpoint as well. One of my favorite quotes from you is you had two dreams as a kid. You wanted to be in a rock band. You wanted to be a wrestler. Which one came first for you? I was probably always music. Both, both were, were kind of hand in hand, but, but this is pre-internet. So you didn't really know how to do any of those things. And it seemed a lot easier to maybe, you know, find some guys that you could play music with rather than find some guys you could go wrestle with. So I, I was in a band when I was, you know, 13 or 14. And that's another great thing about ACDC is that you can play those songs. Right. Like, it'd be hard to put on, you know, I mean, you could kind of play some of those thrash songs and kill them all because they're, they're a little bit easier to play. But something like Fan of the Opera, Iron Maiden, like, how the fuck do you play that on bass guitar? But <laughs> But you know what I mean? But like TNT, you could play that. And, and Right. Very approachable. Very approachable. Yeah. And, and so when you're putting together a band and you have a bunch of 14, 15 year old kids, the only songs we knew at first were You Really Got Me in TNT. Right. Which we also figured was the same riff as uh, Fight for Your Right to Party. So we, we knew three <laughs> songs that were all based on the same riff. Yeah. Yes. You know? That that's very true. A lot of guests say the same thing, Chris. Is that the, if you wanted to learn music, ACDC was the people's band where you could pick up a guitar and probably figure it out. Well, you could, and that's the thing too, though, um, is that you start realizing, Kurt, is, is that I remember when I was a kid, like, what do you play? I play bass, and you know, I can sing, and I can play like like drums. I can play like ACDC style drums, and to me, that was like, oh, it's easy. And then when you become a musician and really understand what ACDC is, it's the hardest band in the world to be in. Yes. And I told Angus and Brian this, as I get older, I really realize and understand why ACDC is the greatest rock and roll band of all time. Now the Stones are right beside them, but the Stones have, you know, a horn section on stage and they have, you know, extra players and there's 11, 12 people. Sure. ACDC has never had more than five people on stage as far as the actual band. And that's the way it's always going to be. They're not going to add a, a, you know, an extra keyboard player in the back or whatever it is. And everybody in that band, like for example, when um, 
when Phil got arrested a few years ago and then when Malcolm passed away. So I know Chris Slade yeah. very well. His son, Jack, worked for Fozzie for years. And um, Chris basically went to Burbank with no invitation of being back in the band. Right. And he never had any indication that he was out of the band in the first place. I know. They basically called, called him up and said, you know, we need you in Burbank. Uh, would you be available? He's like, uh, okay. So they went to Burbank and rehearsed, I think, for like three, four, five months of just Angus, Stevie Young, and, and Chris in a room just going over the parts over and over and over and over again because they're a machine, Yeah, right? They're all completely locked in. Absolutely. And that's the real power of what ACDC is. And like I said, so, so what at first seemed like, oh, this is so easy as a kid, now you realize it's deceptively easy because it's really fucking locked in and it's really hard to play that minimally. In the pocket like that. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Like I always think about like if you go to Let There Be Rock and you watch it live and it's great if you watch it live in Donington 92 and then even uh, River Plate. Yep. Um, you watch that and you see the 20 minutes of if you're a drummer or a guitar player or a bass player, I dare you to try to play that for fucking 20 minutes. Yeah. One, two, one, two, one, two. And this has to be 16th. And go on forever. Cause Angus is soloing in the crowd somewhere. Right. And that's, and that's, and, and Malcolm was like James Brown. Like if you <laughs> didn't hit that 16th, you didn't hit the 16th on the full fall. Like, <laughs> I caught you on that, you know? That was a great accent. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, and Chris told me that uh, at that one in 91 Donington or whatever, what was the, they had a really big festival at Pantera, Motley Crue, Metallica was on, like in Russia. Oh, in Moscow. That's the one. Yeah. And he said Lars and Tommy were on the side of the stage, like betting. How long can he go before he has to take a break on the 16th or whatever it was? And the bet was not won because he never did. Because never that did. was the one thing. Malcolm was very strict on that sort of thing because they very much pay so much attention on that, on that of being locked in like that. I love that story. Over the years, wrestling has become synonymous with ACDC's music. We've heard, I've heard Highway to Hell, Back in Black, War Machine, Shoot to Thrill. Are you ready? Are no. you ready? Have you ever walked out to ACDC? No, I haven't. Um, but the, the, see, here's the funny thing, like uh, the inside scoop of, of, of WWE and, and ACDC, the reason why you hear so much ACDC is because that's Vince McMahon's favorite band of all time. He loves the Rolling Stones and he loves ACDC. Yeah. So you'll always hear that. I think to this day, they still use Are You Ready as the theme for SmackDown. But I was like, when they used War Machine, I'm like, okay, now you're getting deep. Now you know that Vince is a big fan of War Machine. Yeah. Like, it's a great tune, but most people would be like, okay, uh, you shouldn't know that long. That's ACDC. Put that on. Let's use War Machine. So, um, it, but there's a lot of, there, there's a real uh, synchronicity um between kind of what acdc does and rock and roll in general and wrestling yeah and you can kind of feel because it's very hard hitting right um electric uh, synonymous with the crowd uh if you have a great crowd you have a great show on stage or a great match and it's all you know it's a very aggressive feeling that you get when you hear hear this music and, and i say this all the time i said it to angus and brian 
for example, if you go to Vegas, you know, well, not now, but if you go to Vegas before the pandemic and you go to one of those, you know, pool party clubs, like it's a big pool and there's right. like, you know, 1500 people and, and it's nonstop with the EMD, right? The, 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 the rap and whatever. I said, if you guys just put on like fucking back and black, just throw it on. I guarantee no one would miss a beat. People would keep dancing. People would keep drinking. People would have fun. It would work. It's yes. It's 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 kind of the music that is synonymous with a party. Timeless. Like if I ever had a big party at my house, I would put on ACDC, knowing that no matter who's there, if there's punk rockers and there's thrash people and there's rappers and there's ska and there's polka and there's old people and kids, everyone can find that middle ground with ACDC, right? Because it's just it's just rock and roll. You know, you can do that with the Stones too, but those are probably the two best examples. Van Halen to an extent. Those three bands would, would kind of uh, uh, have the passport to fucking, you know, kind of tra- tra- to, to morph into any party scene. How are, how are wrestling fans and ACDC fans alike? I would say that not so much ACDC because it's, it's maybe not quite the same. Everything that AC does, ACDC does is pretty universally acclaimed by the by their fan base. Right. I say that wrestling um, fans are a lot more like Star Wars fans and Kiss fans. Ah. Um, they know everything, and they hate everything, <laughs> but they'll always buy everything. Right. <laughs> so you'll, it doesn't matter what it is. Like Chris Jericho, uh, that's the beauty of social media is that. You know, people love you, and then the next day they absolutely fucking hate you, and then they're complaining, but then they love it again, and whatever it may be. It's the same way for Kiss. It's the same way for Star Wars. Very, very fanatical. Yeah. And very you know, intricate and know every little bit of detail. All right. Okay. Listen, you're a tag team specialist. Oh, you're one half of the tag team champions. You're a tremendous competitor, Scorpio Sky, but you are not in the league of Chris Jericho. You understand me? I am the greatest of all time, and I'll tell you this right now. ACDC is a little bit different. Like I said, like you you guys are the first ACDC podcast that that I've been on. I've been on probably 20 KISS podcasts. For whatever reason, that's a different world. ACDC, like I said, because they're so universally popular, people don't really bag on them a lot. If you go back through their history, there's there's a couple, you know, time frames where they weren't as super popular as as they were. You know, flicking the switch through probably till Razor's Edge came out that time frame. Yeah, but you'll never hear them. You'll never hear people say, "Oh, it was the shits." You know, that that, that, this album might not have been as good as the others, but every ACDC record has at least two or three great songs on it. So they've they've been pretty consistent from '75 to 2021. Absolutely, they're not really known for doing press, like you said. So having having them on your show was phenomenal. That was. Great job, by the way. In 2000, they were not only on MTV, but they were also on Saturday Night Live mm-hmm. when the when the Rock hosted. I was thinking, I bet you wish you were on that episode. Do you remember when that happened? Yeah, I remember. It, it's it's funny because it was just a coincidence. I think that the DC like what a great episode of the show, right? Yeah. But yeah, it, it's interesting, and that's that's I think it's another thing that's, that's really cool about about this band is they're like probably the only other band besides Van Halen where you you don't ever get any information about them. They tell you what they want you to know when they want you to know it. Like even with Power Up, like you heard kind of some rumors, maybe something, and then suddenly there's a poster 
yeah. in front of Angus's school, which I never graduated, he said. Like, who puts up a fucking poster in 2020? Like a poster? I know. It's just a it's it's just a post. Stop it. It's a post. You put a, they they did not do that. So it's one thing that I always really liked the, the, the mystery of ACDC and the fact when you did see them, like when they were on Saturday Night Live, or when you would see them from time to time do some kind of an interview, it would be such a big deal, especially like, especially Malcolm and Angus. Like they never said anything. No. And so now that's what I thought it was pretty refreshing because you know, I, I think Power Up, like the first eight songs at least, are the best songs, the best collection of stuff they've done maybe in 30 years. Yeah, you said that. You said that. That was that was a, a, a pretty nice quote from you. I mean, what do you think? What do you guys think of the record? I thought it was really fun. Made me feel like a kid. It's amazing to me that they were able to hold on to that for two years. You know, like when we saw those kind of um, those secret photographs from Vancouver where uh, they were at the studio and in the oh my gosh, they, you know, Phil right. Rudd is back or whatever it was. That was thinking that was years ago. I know. And the fact that they didn't say anything. Now, that's pretty rare to have a record from a band as big as ACDC done in the can with the amount of people that worked on that record and in that record company. And no, think about this. Nobody said a word for two years. Not just the guys in the band, but no, the, no engineer, no, nobody sweeping up the floor in the studio. I mean, that's pretty insane. Yeah, it's quite the NDA if they've got one going or it's just a gentleman's agreement, you know. I guess so, but that's what. So when it came back, when it came out, you were like, "Okay, well, what should we expect here?" And then, you know, oh my gosh, it just comes out of the, it comes out all all guns blazing, no pun intended. And it was just, um, I really love the fact that they're still putting out music this good, yeah, at this stage of the game, yeah. And it's one of those things. Like, I just want the main reason why I want like, but like, I have an eighty-seven-year-old aunt, and 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 she's like, she's like, I'm. I'll die anyway, but I ain't dying from the fucking coronavirus. Like, hit me with a bus, I don't care. Right. And that's to me the same. Like, I don't, like, I care about getting rid of this, but I just don't want corona to kill ACDC or fucking the stones. I'm not talking about, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and I'm not talking about killing them literally. I'm talking about where they can never tour again. Like, if, if they don't want to tour, let them be able to make the decision, not some stupid fucking virus, right? Like, so please, ACDC and the stones, go back on tour again when you can. Because we want to hear some of these songs live for sure. Yes. Yeah. I, I wanted to bring up the fact that when, when the world lost Malcolm in 2017, both Vince McMahon and you individually commented on his death. Um, you specifically called Mal the greatest rhythm guitar player and riff writer ever, which I thought was very cool. I'm the one who actually told Vince that Malcolm passed away. Oh, wow. You know, once again, it's one of those things when you're when you're a kid and, and you see ACDC. Well, it's obvious that Angus Young is the leader, or, or Gene Simmons is the leader of Kiss, or Bono is the leader of U2. And then once you start getting into the business and start finding out these other things, it's like, oh my gosh, it's not Angus, it's, it's Malcolm Young. And you hear about this sort of stuff, and you're like, wow, that guy, he's the one that just kind of hangs on the back and doesn't do anything. And then you start talking and hearing and reading about what the whole vision of ACDC came from Malcolm's brain. Everything, and you can see it. I, t I mentioned it to Brian. I keep going back to the show, but why wouldn't I? Because I got a chance to actually ask him all these questions I always had, and it's you know Malcolm's rules, and you can see that Bon Scott to Brian Johnson to Axl Rose when he was in the band for the short time. They sing their gig, and when they're done their, their parts, they fuck off back to the amplifiers, and they hang out back there, and they let the true star of the show entertain, which is Angus Young, and 
I noticed that like, wow, even Axel does this. And I think that if you ask the other guys in Guns N' Roses, that I think Axel really got a, a sense of like, holy smokes, this is how it can be to be in a, in a great rock and roll band and don't worry about the egos or the, the bullshit that surrounds it. Because I think he really came alive as a singer of ACDC. I don't know if you guys saw that tour, but I saw him I did. in Madison Square Garden. I mean, did you think, what'd you think? It was rough for me. Um, all props to Axel for coming to the rescue. It was rough for me. Uh, Greg and I were actually both in Philly at their last show. Right. Um, and I think he did a great job. And I think he filled in really nicely and saved those guys. But it, it was just so shrouded in mystery. I didn't know what was going on. So I was kind of upset in a way, too. Well, once again, shrouded in mystery. You just hit the key word. Like, yes. What happened? Right. right. And there was no AC press release. ACDC's rule is always like, it's none of your fucking business. Right. Here's what we're doing. And, you know, it's the same thing. And, and I'm not saying that you were wrong for feeling that, but I, I know people that are still angry that Yannick Gears is an Iron Maiden. I know people that are still <laughs> angry that Tommy Thayer and Eric Singer and Kiss. It's like, yeah. guys, yeah, stop. Just yeah. enjoy the band for what they are. And that's like, I didn't know why Brian was gone. But listen, I'll tell you this. I saw that tour at Dodger Stadium and then saw it again six months later at the Garden. So Dodger Stadium was Brian. Right. And six months, eight months, whatever it was, was Axel. I right. love Brian Johnson, but with Axel, and this happens every time. I don't know if you guys have ever been in a band, but when you get a new guy in the band, it, re it reinvigorates the band. Yes. You started seeing these songs that they hadn't played in years. Yes. Uh, Touch too much. Touch too much. Riff rap. You fucking kidding me? Yeah. Even even the show you guys saw in Philly, they played Problem Child for one show. Live Wire, Rock and Roll Damnation. Who would go and do that and learn a song? For one show. Yeah, I, I, I guess um, Axel would even bring it up that day. Hey, what do you think about playing Riff Raff? <laughs> but here's my point. They were so in the groove and so, having so much fun. Most bands would not do that. No. Rehearse for one, I forget it. But the no. fact they did that, that's just like, man, these guys were enjoying themselves. And here's one last thing I'll say. Those songs are fucking hard to sing. That's another thing about ACDC. People never give enough credit not just the bomb, but for Brian Johnson, I'll tell you what, man, if you guys can sing or if you can hum, try and do Hell's Bells. It is so fucking hard because it starts high, it gets higher, then it goes even higher, then it goes even higher. Get your side, get your... Like, that is so high. And Axel, that's his wheelhouse. So to hear right. it sung... And listen, once again, all props to Brian Johnson, one of the greatest of all time, but he's 73 years old. We all know... You know, you get a little bit rough around the edges. Axel's what fifty-five or whatever he is. Right. He was pounding that shit out. It's like, wow! I realized, like, thunderstruck too. How high are these vocals? Oh my goodness! It made me respect Brian Johnson even more. Crazy. And now, here's a question: What would happen if Angus gave you the call? What would be going through your mind if you had to replace Brian? Um, I could do it. I'm not, I'm not saying that with any ego. It's, that's kind of my wheelhouse too. Like. Hell's Bells is right on the edge. I'd have to have a good day, have a shot of whiskey beforehand, but then I can do it. And Thunderstruck too. Like Thunderstruck is very, very hard to sing. So I can do it. But here, here's here's another thing I really liked about about Axel. Now Bond, or, or Brian sings Bond songs. He does a great job. But Brian sings those songs because that's part of the gig. You come in ACDC. There's a whole half of the catalog that you sing. Right. I feel that Axel embodies not just the vocal 
of Bond, but the spirit of Bond. Like Axel's the last kind of rock and roll pirate, a little bit unhinged, a little bit rough around the edges where you don't know exactly what he's doing. Even now, but if you go Axel 20 years ago, like, he might jump off the stage and kick me in the face. Or he might, <laughs> he might just leave after a song. That's very true. Right? And, and Bon Scott was more laughable, but Bon's the type of guy that would fuck your girlfriend and, and beat you up. What are you going to do about it? You know? <laughs> That's true. Angus actually said that he related Axel more to Bon than Brian. I, and I agree with that. So to me, like I said, I'm really glad that Brian's back in the band, but I'm also really glad I got to see that. That would be like, you know, if, if, you know, Paul McCartney joined the Stones for a tour. Yeah. Like the, the two biggest bands you could get combining forces. Like that was kind of a cool thing. So I'm, I'm really glad I saw it. There's a great, um, I'm not even going to say bootleg. It's a bootleg because it wasn't professionally re released, but it's pro shot from that gig at the Garden. I think there's one from Philly too, the show that you guys were at, the very last show. Yeah, I probably it's shot that. That was me. Well, no, this, <laughs> <laughs> this is pro shot. Like there's camera splices and camera angles. Somebody put it together. Yeah. And it's up right now. So if anybody hasn't seen that those that Axel gig, it's worth checking out because it's it's a lot of fun. Yeah, actually Greg and I were sitting, we had really good seats um and we captured a lot of the show but the last part where Cliff gave his little bow. Um they used that on Rolling Stones feed, which was pretty cool. They got a lot of uh, hits. <laughs> we talked about that too and I said, you know, Cliff looked like it's like the running man. If he, he, he walks past this part, yes. his uh, electronic thing is going to explode. And he's like, no, 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 no. Like, <laughs> Angus just grabs him and takes him past the comfort zone. Nothing's going to kill me. That's right. It's a dog <laughs> collar for bass players. You can't exactly. go past this mark. That's right. Um, I wanted to switch gears to Fozzie real quick. You, it's your 20th anniversary. Is that right? Um, yeah. Yeah, I guess it is kind of our 20th anniversary. Um it's weird for us because we started, uh, our first record came out in 2000, and then we did one in 2002, one in 2005, and then we kind of took five years off and really kind of figured out what we wanted to be and who we wanted to be. So it's almost like two phases of the band. So it's right. technically 20 years, but the Fozzie that, that, that has become what has become now, I would say is closer to 10. Yep. So I was kind of equated. It's like Pantera. There was the years before they had Phil Anselmo. Right. And then the years afterwards. So right. technically, it is twenty years. I wanted to say, um, you're we were listening to uh, some of the earlier stuff you did on the way over. A lot of covers, and mm. your version of "Riding on the Wind" by Judas Priest. Come on, man, that was killer. Has Rob Halford ever talked to you about that? And Rob's great, man. Rob Rob likes Fozzie for for Fozzie, which is he, Rob loves new music. He, he keeps his uh, yeah his finger on the pulse of new music, which which is really cool because a lot of guys especially him, he's almost 70, don't do that. Right. Um, but Riding in the Wind is the first song I ever sang in the studio. Which no. is That's a lot hard. different from, yeah, yeah. And it's one of those ones, it's like when James Hetfield listens to Metal Militia, I don't think he really likes it because it's the same for me riding the wind. I'm like, like for me, but singing in the studio is a lot different from singing in the shower. I'll tell you that in the <laughs> shower, everyone sounds like fucking Freddie Mercury. We noticed you, uh, you had no ACDC covers in there. Well, we didn't, but here's the funny thing. We now do an ACDC cover 
every tour. Yes. Uh, it started on the Judas tour where, where we started doing TNT. Actually, maybe the tour before that. It might have been Do You Want to Start a War? And then Judas, we switched it to um, to Dirty Deeds. Yep. Problem Child. Problem Child we did. Yeah, that way we did that on the cruise. And then yep. we have another one of mine for the next tour. But here's, here's like, um, going back to what I said earlier, we opened for Iron Maiden in September of 2019 in, in uh, the stadium in Los Angeles, the Bank of California Center. Fun. And there was, it's, it's a fucking stadium. And, and so there was, I don't know, 30,000 people there. And, and we're on right before Iron Maiden. It was just three bands that night. And so I was like, I, I'm still not sure exactly why they invited us. Um, I think they just wanted some, one little bit extra of star power to make it special for the stadium. I'm like, Iron Maiden, the stadium is pretty star power enough as it is. But if you want <laughs> us to come play, we'd be happy to do it. So they had Steve Harris's kids band on first. Oh, yeah. Then they had, yeah, they're called... Um, his daughter, oh, right? Ray, Raven Age. No, this is the son. Ray, Raven Age. They're called. Oh, okay. And then we were on second, and then Iron Maiden was on last, obviously. So I said, listen, it, well, let's do, we put together a set. You got 45 minutes, so you, that's usually about eight songs or so. So you pick the best ones you think are going to fit the Iron Maiden crowd. But I was like, listen, let's end with Dirty Deeds. That way, even if people have no idea who we are, at the end of the set, we'll have gotten them enough to where like, okay, these guys are cool, but let's play something that everybody knows. The whole place will be singing it. The whole place will be digging it. Perfect. And that's exactly what happened. I mean, Dirty Deeds, Done Dirt Cheap at an Iron Maiden gig. You know, Dirty Deeds, Done Dirt Cheap. That's awesome. It's easy. And it's 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 cheap, a cheap pop. You know what I mean? As we say in wrestling, you're like going to Philly and saying, you know, I love the Philadelphia Flyers. Yay! <laughs> and that's kind of the concert version. Let's do an ACDC song. But it worked. And that way you leave the stage as conquering heroes with people chanting Fozzie and People having fun, and the guys actually, the guys in Maine were like, Oh, they really enjoyed you guys. And I was like, Well, if you didn't see the whole set, well, yes, they were like that the whole time. If you just saw the end of the set, you know, that's the reason why because we played ACDC. Um, I wanted to talk to you about your hugely popular Talk is Jericho podcast on Westwood One. Um, and ACDC's been a recurring theme on your show, which we obviously love. Um, tell us about some of the topics you've tackled. Not to mention having Angus and Brian on your show, which was phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, when I started doing it, like it was kind of, I was lucky I started in 2013, which was kind of pre-podcast. I think now it's like, there's literally, I think, 850,000 podcasts in the world. And I'm right. not exaggerating on that. Right. Um, so I was able to kind of get a little bit of a, of a, of a foothold in the market right away because of, of that. Right. And um so, you know, because and the reason why is like I just wanted anything that that interests me, you know, so it's not just gonna be wrestling or it's not just gonna be music, it'll be paranormal and conspiracy theories and the watch alongs and comedians and porn stars and oh there's a pro surfer, let's talk to him, or there's this, there's that. And a thing that we do is the classic album clash. That's always a lot of fun where we take two albums from the same band and kind of debate song by song, you know. Um, right. or we've done I think we did a, a back in black 40th anniversary show. Where we, just talk about that album and how big it is and kind of do a track by track there. So all of those things kind of um, whatever interests me. And, and my goal was let me build up the show to where people like me as a host, and then they'll listen to whatever I give them, you know, and that basically is, is it, you know, and sometimes some shows do bigger than others. And, but to me, they're all just as important because it's something that I'm interested in. Usually if I'm interested in it, people will uh, trust my judgment and, and, and be interested in it as well, or at least know that it's going to be entertaining. Well, you've, you've had some great stories along the way in your life from, you know, 
arguing with Bob Barker to jamming with Little Richard and uh, altercation with Mickey Rourke. It's all good radio, man. But, um, <laughs> you know. Yeah, a lot of stories, that's for sure. Getting down to the nitty gritty of our podcast, ACDC Beyond the Thunder, it's about how it's influenced different people um, in unique ways. Of course, you're a professional wrestler. Um, how has ACDC influenced you the most? Um, I mean, that's a pretty good question. I think, you know, I, I think, you know, the, the famous quote, I think somebody said to Malcolm one time is, you know, ACDC's done the same album 15 times. He's like, you're wrong. We've done the same album 16 times. Right. And I think, I think what you can learn from that is uh, when you find something that you're good at and you do it better than anybody else, don't mess with it. And not a lot of bands can do that. I think Slayer is yeah. another band that pretty much did a very similar thing their whole career. But look at the fan bases for Slayer and ACDC. They're, 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 they're rabid. They're monstrous. I mean, obviously, ACDC is bigger. But I think it, you know, there's something to be said about, about that, about the fact that, you know, they stuck to their guns no matter what. Even in the 80s when everybody else was adding some synthesizers or some pop elements or Everybody, from Van Halen to Rush to, right. you know, look at Metallica in the 90s. I mean, you name it. I mean, even Iron Maiden went certain ways. They held their ground. Yeah, they never did. I mean, every record is, is the same as the last, you know. Um, and I think the fact, too, and here's something that people don't really think about. The production that ACDC has is bigger than almost every band. And people always go like, well, ACDC, you know, they're, they're boring thing. Cause yes. just because Malcolm changed, changed from his black t-shirt to his blue t-shirt before he went on stage. It's like, those guys are just in the background. If you look at <laughs> ACDC, it's based around, you know, a guy in a school uniform and he's now 65 years old, still wearing the school uniform. And then you wouldn't have it any other way. And the other guy's wearing a, a, a cap like you're wearing right now. You know, the, the Brian Johnson hat, like that's, that's ACDC, the guy with the hat and the guy with the school uniform. But then let's go through the songs. Then you've got, I mean, fucking yeah. hell. You know, I just watched the, the uh, No Bull from, from, the, from the Ball Breaker Tour, and now they've got a wrecking ball, and they've got the bell, and they've got the cannons, they've got a whole lot of Rosie, and they've got the rock and roll train. It's like one thing after another after another. They've got Angus is up on a riser during a solo. There's confetti coming down. Like, they are the best with the exception of Kiss, probably, but they're right up there, Kiss and ACDC. You would never think that. You think Kiss is all about production, ACDC is all about the music. That's not fucking true. No. that They're, they're vaudeville, in a sense. I mean, they put on a show, man. They got the props. They do, and they understand that part of rock and roll being, being like that. Yep. And to me, like, it just... You know, what do you learn from it? Just learn that's how you, that's how you be an entertainer. Like, as an entertainer for... 30 odd years now you always want to give people something extra right you know you always look like a star always present your like a, present yourself like a star well acdc as an individual might not do that the way that you know nick jagger does or gene simmons or, or you know freddie mercury or whatever but as a band our maidens like this too as a band they present themselves as the shit right this is it you, you, you don't want to go anywhere else you know, when ACDC played Download Festival in England, the biggest festival in England a few years ago, right? they didn't just get the main stage spot. They brought their own main stage. That's right. They were pretty you know exclusive on that. That's right. Yeah. So here's the stage that every band played on. And then when ACDC was ready, everyone walks over to this stage, which is <laughs> ACDC stage. Like, that's how you do it. Like, 
you guys do what you want on your stage. We're just going to build our own stage. We are? Yep, we are. So I always like that where you can be, like you said, humble, down to earth, but also to just be the biggest, larger than life creation that you've ever seen. They are always in control of their own brand too, which is huge. Always. I mean, that's, that's, it was a huge, you know, when, when Malcolm passed away, Angus, think of the burden that he had. Not only does he lose his brother and he loses his other brother, George, about two months later, but now he's basically the sole last man standing boss. Yeah. Of yeah. ACDC. And that, and, you know, and then Brian's gone. So that last incarnation of DC was Angus, Axel, Cliff, Stevie, Chris, and then Cliff was retiring. So then who they brought in? There's probably another young brother somewhere in fucking Sydney that plays bass or <laughs> guy, the guy from Rose Tattoo that was Bond's favorite or whatever it is. But it would have just been, I think the smartest thing that they, he could have done was kind of get the, get the band back together, bring back Phil. It's funny you mentioned that the, uh, the original bass player for ACDC actually is the bass player for Rose Tattoo now. <laughs> well, there you go. Bring Mark Evans back. Full you know? circle. Full circle. So that's the thing. And, and like I said, and if he did bring him back, I'm sure that guy would have to get run through the ringer of rehearsing for three, four months again. So I, I think the smartest thing that, he, that Angus could have done was, was especially for fans, I guess, is bring back the band. Yeah. So, you know, because once again, like if you want to really talk about ACDC as far as being a machine, a giant part of that machine is Phil Rudd. Yeah. And no, no, one, no one plays drums like him. And it's like people go, Phil Rudd, are you kidding me? That guy is fucking amazing. Guess who, guess who plays like Phil Rudd now by design? Lars Ulrich. Yeah. The, I never would have put those together. So listen to the difference between Justice for All and the Black album. That's Phil Rudd. Lars Ooh. will tell you. Boom. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, he's like, I've done all of this stuff and the paradiddles and the 16, 15 time. I can't compete with Lombardo. I can't compete with Charlie. I'm taking it all away. And we're going to do, you know, I heard him on uh Howard Stern show. They, they phoned him up to ask the best drummer and uh, Ulrich's answer was Phil Rudd. Yeah. <laughs> Which was awesome. He goes, I'm going to throw him in there. He loves Clive Burr, too, the original Iron Maiden drummer. Oh, yeah, he is awesome. You see that influence, like when when ACDC is permeating into Metallica, which in the 80s would be almost a cardinal sin. You know, posers must die. Like, what are you talking about? Everybody's influenced by ACDC. Everybody. I bet you they're probably the most sampled band uh, in, in rap music nowadays. Yeah. In country music, fucking Billy Joel plays the garden. He brings Brian Johnson. They do, you know, you shook me all night long. Like, love that dude. It, it's universal. It's universal. Do you have a favorite song or favorite album of ACDC you like to drop? Um, it's, it's funny you say that because I think like, I don't think there's a bad Bon Scott album. No, and I don't think there's a bad Bon Scott. Let me rephrase that. I said that wrong. I don't think there's a bad Bon Scott song. I think every single song on, on every Bon album is good. And I think that continued over to Back in Black. And I think For Those About to Rock is the first one that for me had some songs that I didn't really quite like. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think High Voltage is amazing. I think Let There Be Rock is amazing. Obviously, Back in Black is the best. But if you're going for one that no one really talks about that I really love, it's Fly on the Wall. Yes. Oh, my God. 
You know who else said that? Someone like Ryan Adams said that's one of his favorite albums of all time. And I was like, Fly on the Wall? Really? Awesome. Yeah, Corey Taylor loves it too. Um, Because from a song standpoint, the production is pretty pretty muddled. Yeah. But the songs are all great. So as I go through, I think, like I said, the, the, uh, I keep wanting to call it Shot in the Dark, Power Up. Like, let's see where I'm at a year from now. But the first eight songs on this record, like, they're all great. Yeah. And that's pretty rare for ACDC at this stage of the game. Favorite song, um, Thunderstruck, is up there. I have a great drinking game that if you want to get drunk fast, I used to do it on the bus in WWE, where if you want to get drunk from the arena to the hotel, if there's like a 30-minute drive, I can do it. <laughs> it's the Thunderstruck game. Every time they say thunder, you take a drink. Oh, that's brutal. I, if, I don't know if you guys are drinking men or not, but give it a try next time because you think thunder, thunder. But wait till it gets to the end. Thunderstruck, thunderstruck, thunderstruck. It's every it's thunder, thunder. That thunder. sounds Guaranteed dangerous. To be pissed drunk by the time you're out, the song is done. New game out there, kids. <laughs> thunderstruck is up there. Hell's bells because because of the Nelly line. Um, I love Sin City. I love Shoot the Thrill. Um, there's so many, man. Just throw a dart and pick one up. They're all great to me. You know, I, I saw you on um, Eddie Trunk's show, and you were sporting, uh, for those about to rock, Tattoo, which was the canon, which was awesome. Can you t- tell us about that thing? Um, yeah, I, I decided I wanted to get a tattoo uh, based around music, kind of make a whole amalgamation about music, yeah. but not have, like, ACDC, Iron Maiden. So I picked images from the different records that stood out to me that I liked. And, and when I thought about ACDC, I thought, well, the cannons are pretty, pretty legendary. So it's one of those things, if you're a fan, yep. you get it. If not, it just looks like a cool double-barreled cannon on my arm. Right. Chris, I wanted to talk about, going back to our, an earlier quote, everything has been an offshoot of rock or wrestling. And you've certainly had a fun and colorful career outside the ring and, and off the stage from dancing with the stars, hosting appearances on TV in Sharknado 3, which was phenomenal. You're an author, my favorite title, the best in the world at what I have no idea. Very self-deprecating writing style, which is awesome. Yeah, all of, all of my books kind of have that little bit of a self-deprecation to it. Writing is fun. It's, it's kind of fun, but you'd probably rather be doing than writing. I started... Um as a journalist, before I went to wrestling school, I worked for, for Winnipeg Sun, it was called, like as a sports reporter. But I was kind of a low-level sports reporter. I didn't get to cover the Winnipeg Jets or the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. They would send me to uh, swim meets, um, the, the, blue, <laughs> the Winnipeg Blue Bombers fashion show. And, uh, and this is real, a Tiddlywinks competition. No way. Yes. That is riveting reporting. How did you do it? Riveting reporting. Uh, fucking very badly <laughs> so that's when i said you know what dude like yeah i'd rather be uh i'd rather be the one being written about than doing the writing right um but then having said that that's why i enjoy writing books about the stuff that i've done and the ridiculous you know kind of moments in my career and that sort of thing so you know i think the more things you can kind of do to 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 you know spread your horizons expand your horizons 
the better it is for you. And now adding producer to your title, we watched uh, your film that, was it Eli Roth had turned you on to? Or were you, uh, tell us a little bit more about this film. No, that was that was his quote about our film. Was that the best documentary that he's seen in a long time? Did he say, that's amazing. I turned it on to him when we finished making it. Yeah, it's called... Uh, I'm too old for this shit. And you guys saw it. So what did you think? I thought it was super fun, emotional for these guys. It's a dream come true story. I kind of referenced it as the Anvil of Florida. In a lot of ways, you know, the thing, the difference is the Anvil documentary, Anvil never stopped playing and touring. Yeah. Whereas Siren was a band in the early 80s. And, you know, everybody had a band in the early 80s that was going to make it. And theirs kind of had a little bit of steam and then just sputtered out and died. And uh, that was it. Some of the guys never played instruments again until like 35 years later, they found out they had a, a pretty substantial fan base in Germany from some demos that had gotten over there. And uh, they were asked to play this big festival. And I was like, I know the drummer. And I was like, well, that, come on, that, that never happens. He's like, no, I'm serious. Like they asked us to play Keep It True Festival. I'm like, you guys haven't played in 35 years. I know, I understand it. So I said, I'm going to send a television crew or a camera crew because it's either going to be a total shit show <laughs> or it's going to be like the best feel good story ever. And what we got was, was even more than I expected. We're a, a great story and how to always follow your dreams. Cause you never know when they might come true, even 35 years later. So these guys go to Germany and they play the festival and uh, it was real 5,000 people chanting their name and, it's just a crazy story about how this all took place. Yeah, I, I loved your interviews in there because you were kind of like not buying into it, which was very authentic. No, because it's true. Yeah. I didn't buy into it because when is that? I mean, I've been playing in bands for 30, 40 years too. You know, I've been in Fozzie for 20 years, like we said. It doesn't work that way. Like it's hard to get booked on a festival. You, know, you guys just did nothing for 35 years and now you're – and, you, and you, not just on the open, you're actually one of the headliners of this festival. Bullshit. Right. I couldn't believe it. And then I actually realized that this is real. So let's go document it and see what happens. Because like I said, it's either going to be a total disaster, yep. which would have been a terrible movie, like just horrible making fun of my friend as his dreams get trod upon. <laughs> but it was the opposite. They went over and, and had a great time. And uh, really everything that they were promised came true. Uh, including these rock and roll dreams. So, um, and it was cool because it took about two years or three years to make it. And then, you know, you think, oh, you get it, you put it on iTunes and Amazon. Well, it's not easy to put it on iTunes and Amazon. It doesn't work that way either. So, right. to get it on iTunes and Amazon and all these other platforms was was a big deal. So it was exciting for me. It was my, my favorite part. I think was watching these fans' reactions when they were in person meeting this band. And they were like, almost like yeah. teenagers, you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Is there anything that you wanted to talk about, Chris, about ACDC that we haven't covered yet? No, I mean, it's always cool to talk, you know, with fellow, uh, you know, fanatics and fans and all that sort of thing. I, I, like I said, to me, the best thing about DC is, 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 is they just, they'll never stop, you know, and they'll, they'll never stop until Angus is probably gone off this, this earth. Um, and the fact that they put up this, this great record, in the middle of this pandemic and it's like now i'm just waiting now i'm really chomping at the bit not only do i want to go back on tour with fozzy and want to go back in front of crowds with AEW, but i want to go see some shows and one of the one of the first ones i'll go to is acdc and we and, you know we all deserve a little acdc after the the year that we just went through so well said and, and i also say too like i mean we we legit lost not just neil peart and Eddie van halen we lost rush and Van Halen, like they're not coming back. You will never see Rush live or Van Halen live again, at least not 
in the proper sense of the term, right? Right. So now the fact that ACDC is still alive and Kiss is still alive and, and these bands are still out there, now more than ever, I really want to go see them play because you just never know when, when we won't be able to see them anymore. How many times have you seen them, ACDC? Uh, I'll see if I can go through it. I saw the Who Made Who tour. Okay. Uh, uh, where they did that, the soundtrack record. Right. For Maximum Overdrive. And it was called the Who Made Who tour. I was there. Yeah. Queensryche was the opener. Yes. Then, yes. Then I saw um, Blow Up Your Video in, and, and White Lion was the opener. Yes, and that's I right. I saw them uh, uh, Thunderstruck tour. And I think it was LA Guns. LA Guns. Man, you were good, Chris. Yeah. Uh, that is for the Ball Breaker Tour, but I don't remember who the opening band was for that, so I probably skipped it. Probably didn't mm. like it. In 95, who was it? Slash's Snake Pit? No, that was Stiff Upper Lip. So I saw that tour. I did not see... Uh, yeah, I saw Stiff Upper Lip as well. I, I think I've seen everyone. I saw Black Ice, and then I saw Rocker Bust twice, once with Brian, once with Axel. So I guess eight times, give or take. That's great. It might have been a, a one or two times, but... Yeah, I'm excited, like I said, that I got to see uh, got to see Axel as well. So. Chris, thanks so much for joining us, and happy belated birthday to you from all of us here at ACDC Beyond the Thunder. We always ask this final round of questioning. The task is where the guest has to describe ACDC in one word. What would be your one word of choice, Chris? I got it, man. It's the best. It's actually an interview that I heard them say where they said, what does ACDC mean? And it was angst. It means power. And <laughs> yes. That's literally what it means, but it's also figuratively what it means. ACDC means power. It really does. The power of rock and roll, you know? Love it. The power of that feeling you get when you see a great band. The power that you feel when you put on a record that just makes you want to drive really fast and, you know, hit a punching bag. It means power. ACDC Beyond the Thunder theme song, Trailer Trash, written and performed by Gannon Arnold. VO Talent by Bruce Jacobson. Cinematography and sound recording by Greg Ferguson. Edited and mixed by Eric Keel. Written, directed, and hosted by Kurt Squires. Produced by Greg Ferguson, Eric Keel, and Kurt Squires. ACDC Beyond the Thunder is a Squires LLC current motion production. Copyright Beyond the Thunder podcast. All rights reserved. This has been a Nat Attack presentation. Shazbot. Nanu Nanu.